Talk. Thanks very much, Ben, and uh, good morning. It's Monday the 4th of July. This is James Ross in for Peter Lewis today as he takes a well-earned break. I hope you have a good long weekend. In the headlines this morning, as U.S. inflation soars to 8.6%, the White House is debating whether lifting some tariffs would help provide some relief to American consumers. Argentine's economy minister Martin Guzman has resigned as the economic crisis there intensifies. A new data shows that Eurozone inflation hit another record high in June as Russia's war in Ukraine drives up energy prices and hammers the European economy. And Australia's mining and energy re- export revenues are forecast to climb 3% to a record 286 billion US dollars in the year to June 2023, pushed up by those surging coal and gas prices. In business, Tesla says it delivered 18% fewer electric vehicles in the second quarter from the previous quarter as the COVID-related shutdowns in China disrupted its production and supply chain. Japan's SoftBank has offered around 1.5 billion US dollars to buy Japanese department stores Sogo and Seibu from parent company Seven and I Holdings. And UK sandwich chain Pretamorte is expanding into India through a deal with Reliance Industries, which is owned by Asia's richest person, Mukesh Ambani. On this morning's Money Talk, we'll be joined by Christopher Lee, senior partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments, and Nate Taplin, Asia editor of the Head of the Street at the Wall Street Journal. With a view from mainland China is Yanan Wu, chairman of Zen Rongbao. And don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK. Well, let's have a quick look at the markets and starting on Wall Street, uh, which bounced back with a higher close in light trading on Friday as investors started the second half of the year and ahead of today's 4th of July holiday. All three major U.S. stock indices reversed early early losses to end in positive territory in the wake of the market's worst first half in decades. But overall, all three posted losses for the week. The chip sector dropped after Micron Technology warned of cooling demand. Micron's shares down 3%. NVIDIA, Advanced Micro Devices and Qualcomm all lost at least 3% as well. The Dow finished up 1.1% at 31,097. The S&P 500 also up 1.1% to 3,825. The Nasdaq up just under 1% at 11,127. U.S. markets just closed today for Independence Day. European stocks finished flat on Friday with the Stocks Europe 600 index closing at 407. Chip company ASM saw the largest drop, its uh, shares down 9.4%. In London, the FTSE 100 was flat at 7,168. The French CAC 40 up 0.14% to 5,931. And Germany's DAX uh, up 0.23% to 12,813. Uh, Hong Kong stocks extended losses on Thursday on worries about U.S. interest rate hikes and surging inflation. The Hang Seng shed 0.6%, 137 points to 21,859. Other Asian benchmarks were mostly lower on Friday. 
after the quarterly Tankan report by the Bank of Japan rekindled worries about the economy there. The Nikkei 225 down 1.6%. South Korea's Kospi lost 1.1%. But in a bit of positive news, a survey by Chinese business magazine uh, Kegsin found that factory activity expanded last month at its strongest rate in 13 months. And the Shanghai Composite rose 0.2% on Friday. In commodities, the Australian government says mining and energy export revenues are forecast to climb 3%, as I said, to a record 286 billion US dollars in the year to June 2023 on the back of surging coal and gas prices. Uh, Sanctions on Russia have sent prices for natural gas and coal to all-time highs, underpinning record revenue for Australia's second and third largest exports. To the numbers and Brent crude currently down two tenths of one percent at one hundred and eleven dollars forty three a barrel. Uh, copper up a third of one percent at three hundred and sixty one fifty five a pound. Uh, spot gold is almost unchanged at one thousand eight hundred and nine dollars seventy eight an ounce. The U.S. 10-year bond currently showing a yield of two point nine eight percent. Currently, the euro is buying a dollar and four cents. The US dollar stands at 135.25 Japanese yen. The pound buys 9.5 Hong Kong dollars. Uh, the yuan stands at 6.70 against the US dollar. And Bitcoin currently at 19,282 uh, US dollars. Uh, just looking at the market openings, Australia, the AX200 up 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 uh, opened up 0.8%. Uh, the Kospi in South Korea is up 0.2%. Futures markets projecting the Hang Seng in Hong Kong to open around 80 points lower at 9.30. Well, let's move to our business headlines and our guests uh, for this morning. In fact, our first section uh, will be one guest only. Uh, Christopher Lee, uh, Senior Partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. Uh, Good morning, Christopher. How are you? Hello, James. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you on the line. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, quite a lot going on, surprisingly, because it has been a, a long weekend, certainly in Hong mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, and, of course, it's a holiday in the U.S. today. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden considering whether to lift tariffs on Chinese imports brought in by his predecessor, Donald Trump. But his cabinet is split over the issue that could influence the midterm uh, elections later this year. When he entered office, Mr. Biden suggested he was in no rush to remove the tariffs on more than $300 billion of Chinese goods during Mr. Trump's trade war with Beijing. But as inflation soars to 8.6%, the White House is debating whether lifting some tariffs would help provide some relief to U.S. consumers. How are you seeing it, uh, Chris? What do you think of uh, that particular story. Thank you. Thank you, James, for having me. And this is really a um, political versus economic decision for President Biden. Um, the way I see it is that, uh, you know, the advisors around President Biden have been advising him politically that uh, if he, you know, needed to be uh, president, then uh, he should be more hawkish on China. Right? So he needed to be more hawkish on China than Trump. And uh, historically speaking, this is a very interesting piece of fact that I see like almost 30 years ago when then uh, um, candidate um, Clinton, who was a Democrat, was going against uh, the first President Bush. And candidate 
Clinton was actually very uh, critical on George Bush's uh, handling of the uh, 1989 Tiananmen Square. And so they were very, very, I think, uh, hawkish on China. And so politically speaking, I think I would also quote a very famous um, British historian, uh, Niall Ferguson. He also feels that uh, Biden needs to be more hawkish on China than uh, his um, uh, Republican opponents. So this is up to President uh, Biden to choose, because economically speaking, I agree that removing the tariffs is a good decision, because the average Joe on the street, right, the average person is uh, buying a lot of products, daily household products from China. So definitely removing the tariffs will benefit the average American household. And so if um, Biden is uh, aiming for his second term, then maybe this is more of a political decision. But if he is just trying to do his job to serve the American public, then I think he has to think about what is best for the average Joe on the street. Is it a surprise, Chris, do you think that, uh, you know, he's left the tariffs in place thus far and hasn't done anything about it uh, earlier in his term? Well, it's not surprising. I think uh, he is a politician, right? So uh, he has to, I think, uh, also think about these uh, issues uh, politically. But as you highlighted earlier, this is a big debate uh, between his uh, cabinet members and those who are hawkish definitely have been very, very hawkish. But I'm a businessman, so I think, you know, economically speaking, you know, I know, we know that the tariffs ultimately are borne by the average uh, uh, consumer. So when the tariffs are there, the, uh, the prices are high, and who's really paying for it? It's the average Joe on the street who's really paying for it. If it wasn't for the... Uh the war in Ukraine and that particular pressure. Do you think? Do you think he would be in the same position as he is now? Would he? Would he? Would he be under such pressure to to do something about this? Well, he is under a lot of political pressure, and so that's why this has not been an easy decision. But again, I go back to uh, the uh, economic argument here, which is why are the American people paying higher prices? when inflation, as you said, is already at 8.6% in June. So this is just not sustainable. And uh, ultimately, I think the, uh, the American public will feel the pain. And when they are not happy with the president, then uh, I think his uh, re-election uh, uh, chance will also be uh, diminished. I guess the midterm's only uh, five months away, so he doesn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of time to not sort this out. Not a lot of time, yeah. If I were advising him, I would say remove the tariffs. Well, we wait and, wait and see. Of course, there is also some talk that now uh, the U.S. is uh, going into into recession, um, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of discussion about how severe this recession uh, would or could could be. Do you have a view on that, uh, Chris? What What do you think? Well, I think um, you know this is uh, something that uh, we're all um, quite concerned about, and so. You look at uh, China, I think uh, back in April, uh, China was actually thinking about cutting rate to stimulate the economy, right? So, and they ultimately did not cut rate, but to stimulate the economy to avoid a recession or to avoid a slowdown, they reduced the uh, the reserve requirement for banks. And so I think, you know, if you look at the next FOMC meeting in um, July, uh, which is, I think, scheduled to be on the 26th of July, they're still planning to uh, hike rates. And similarly, I think uh, ECB, European Central Bank, is still planning to hike rates. 
So there are risks out there, but they also have to uh, keep inflation uh, under control. I think that's what I believe as their first priority, both uh, the Fed and also European Central Bank. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, Euro, Eurozone inflation accelerated to another record high uh, in June. Right. The data mm-hmm. came out on, on Friday. And again, as we said, that as uh, Russia's war in Ukraine drives mm-hmm. up those energy prices and really hammers the European economy. Um, the mm-hmm. Eurostat data agency said the increase in consumer prices in the 19 countries that use the euro reached, again, 8.6%, coincidentally, uh, leaping yeah. from the previous record of 8.1% a month earlier. Is, yeah. is there a lot that the ECB and the European authorities can do to try and control it? Yes, uh, I'm fresh on that trip. Uh, fortunately, James, I, I was in Austria, Germany and Switzerland. And so we saw over the last 12 months or so, euro has uh, moved uh, from 1.2 to now almost uh, parity with the dollar, right, at 1.04. So they have lost about, um, you know, 20% in terms of currency exchange rate. Now, so we, we just heard, right, just recently that uh, uh, ECB and Christine Lagarde mentioned that uh, they will plan to hike rates uh, in July. And so at the moment, as you know, the um, European rate, the so-called deposit facility rate, is still negative. So they have confirmed they will move from negative 0.5 to a negative So this is a uh, 25 basis point height. And the next meeting, I think, is going to be in September. And most people expect that uh, ECB is going to hike again. And this is to move more in line with uh, what's happening in the U.S. As you said, the inflation numbers are 8.6 coincidentally. So they're also experiencing a lot of pain. Um, But but at the same time, they don't want to overdo it either. I mean, just again, look at China, right? A very different picture that we see in China back in April, the cut rate. So I think Europe is really definitely between the two, between China and the US. Are there the same political pressures, uh, do you think, in in Europe that uh, President Biden has in the US to do something about this? Or is it is it much more uh, economic uh, livelihood issues that are that are at, uh, in discussion there? James, I believe it's more economical. And I think the, uh, the U.S., um, I think, uh, situation is definitely more political. But uh, Christine Lagarde is a good person, and she's trying to do what is right for the uh, Eurozone. And so they are trying to uh, really keep inflation under control. I mean, it's amazing. We, we touched on yeah. the uh, uh, the euro dollar rate just there, mm-hmm. and it is amazing, isn't it, that it is almost you know one yeah, euro for one for one dollar. I mean, it, you know, when the euro started, that was quite a different story, wasn't it? It was very different, and I think you know, partly, I think uh, you look at what happened in the middle of June. The U.S. Fed uh, hiked rates by seventy five basis points, right? So this is making the dollar stronger. I mean, in in, in short term, I think. Uh, when rates go up, then obviously the currency is going to strengthen. And that puts a little bit of pressure on the ECB to also do a bit more rate hike, I believe, in uh, in September uh, to make sure that the euro is not going to be too weak when compared to the dollar. And, of course, the Japanese yen and now at 135.25. I mean, you know, that's changed a lot as well, and uh, the dollar much stronger there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, dollar is uh, doing really well. I mean, as a currency, at uh, I think uh, to the yen, as you mentioned, one thirty four, uh, one thirty five. Um, so uh, I um, I'm 
you know, monitoring this uh, very closely. Even within FAA, I mean, we have a very split, I think, opinions as well. But uh, my personal view is that uh, in the upcoming FOMC meetings uh, in July and September, uh, the U.S. Fed will continue to uh, to raise rates. I mean, that would put some pressure on the Hong Kong dollar as well, because Hong Kong dollar is still uh, linked in fact to the uh, U.S. dollar. And so we hear a lot of uh, interesting uh, comments from uh, uh, Xi Jinping when he was visiting Hong Kong last week. So uh, I think we have to turn back to our homeland here and uh, and do more for our people in Hong Kong. Well, as you say, President Xi was here uh, on Thursday and Friday and some commentators saying that uh, by declaring the need for a, quote, better balanced relationship between the government and the market, he was signalling a a potential crackdown on Hong Kong's tycoons. Uh, While Mm -hmm. Mr Xi said that Hong Kong can keep its capitalist system, Mm -hmm. all all residents should respect Beijing's socialism and Communist Party leaders. Hong Kong, of course, has more billionaires uh, uh, linked to real estate amongst its top Mm -hmm. ten richest people than other territories. What do you think about that? Are the, are the tycoons yeah. under pressure? I watch uh, the uh, visit on TV, and uh, so it was a very interesting speech. And my, my personal takeaway is that uh, there were basically four, I think, uh, very key messages that uh, she really delivered. Uh, firstly, I think it was a political message, right, that uh, one country, two systems, I think model is here to stay. And as you know, we are still an English common law jurisdiction. Um, among, I think, uh, my partners within FAA, there's also a debate whether this will uh, continue after 2047. My, my personal view is that it will. And so, uh, uh, so that's another topic for another time. So I think that's a very key message, right, politically speaking, is the one country, two system model. And, and economically speaking, I thought he gave a very, um, a uh, very interesting, I think, um, message. It's like saying, hey, listen, is the economy stupid, right? So he talked a lot about investing in technology and he talked a lot about uh, life sciences and he also mentioned the uh, GBA opportunities. So he's painting a good picture and he mentioned we've got to diversify. So this is where we are going really in the next few years. And um, And after the, I think, political and the economic message, I think he was, also being very uh, very empathetic to the average uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wong on the street here in Hong Kong. I mean, he understood that we have a lot of uh, housing issues, um, affordability issues, and there's the income inequality. And so he's, you know, really trying to show that he, he really cares about the uh, the average uh, person here. And and lastly, to your point about the, the crackdown, I think my takeaway was that uh, he was trying to uh, emphasize the uh, the importance of uh, peace and harmony. And so clearly, I think, you know, we don't want to see instability in Hong Kong. And to the point that he was also maybe giving a bit of a um, warning message that we cannot afford to have instability in Hong Kong because it will hurt all of us. So, I mean, those are the four uh, key takeaways that I get from uh, uh, she's uh, visit last week. Well, let's see what uh, impact it has on the markets. Uh, uh, the futures um, projecting had the Hang Seng to open around uh, 60 points higher at uh, 9.30. Mm. Uh, we say thank you very much to uh, Christopher Lee. Uh, thanks, Chris, uh, senior partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. Since the Hong Kong national security law came into effect, Hong Kong's financial market and economy have remained vibrant 
and Hong Kong's unique position as a gateway to the Greater Bay Area and the mainland market, and our sophisticated connections with the world have continued. The Hong Kong National Security Law, from order to prosperity, ensuring one country, two systems. A very good morning to you. This is Money Talk with James Ross in for today only for Peter Lewis taking a day off. Uh, it's uh, 8.24 right now. It's time for our view from mainland China. And we're joined on the line by Yanan Wu, uh, chairman of Zen Rongbao. Uh, Yanan, good morning. Uh, good morning, James. Uh, happy to speak to you again. Uh, nice to speak to you uh, as well. Now, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, the survey by uh, uh, Kixin found that uh, China's factory activity expanded in June at its strongest rate in 13 months, following an easing of antivirus uh, restrictions that shut down Shanghai and uh, other industrial centres. Uh, Yanani, are you seeing uh, that uh, sentiment um, reflected out there? Is Are things looking a bit more positive now? Yeah, uh, definitely uh, the sentiment is picking up, uh, like you just mentioned, the Taishin uh, PMI index and also the uh, national uh, PMI index, which characterizes the large, uh, small, uh, large and medium enterprises. Uh, I think the, if you look at the PMI numbers, there are probably two uh, interesting trends. One is the, the manufacturing PMI. Uh, uh, as just mentioned, is already past the expansion decline line, which is above 50 points. So right now it's about 50.2 in June. Uh, for the non-manufacturing, I think the, this is really taking out quite a bit. Uh, non-manufacturing service uh, is uh, was uh, 50.7 in June, which is 7, 7 points uh, higher than previous months. So both numbers are above the expansion line. Uh, meaning the economy's trend and also sentiment picks up. I think uh, because the Shanghai lockdown was easing up and also uh, the state council put a harsh measure uh, to want to reverse the previous policy to um, tight control on COVID, uh, COVID-19 and also the travel uh, restrictions. Uh, so that uh, shows that the service sector picks up the most. Uh, in June, and uh, the manufacturing probably more beneficial by the export order, because the uh, uh, the pr- the production line and also the supply chain has been uh, brought back to more or less normal, especially in Jiangsu and Zhejiang province. Right. Uh, so the service sector picks up, and also the supply chain is bring back. So looking a bit more positive, and uh, you know, Goldman Sachs saying that Chinese, Chinese equities will be a, a bright spot as the uh, fear of a global recession sends shares from the rest of the developing world spiraling. Uh, Goldman saying that uh, China equity strength may be driven by domestic activity and overall emerging shares risk weakening a further 8% to 15%. So maybe, some, maybe a bit of a positive for, for Chinese stocks. Yeah, the mainland Asia market uh, also uh, shows the uh, similar uh, trend as the PMI number. Uh, the uh, especially, I think, if you look at the lowest point so far this year, is was back here, 
uh, at the end of April, April 26 was the Asia market's lowest point. Uh, since then, uh, the Shanghai uh, Composite Index has picked up around 26% as of the last Friday, and uh, the Chinax, which is the equivalent of the U.S. NASDAQ, the uh, the innovation board is picked up over 30%. So both uh, uh, index shows uh, a technical bull market, if you will, using the 20% as the bull uh, bear market line. Uh, so I think really I think the first phase is brought by the northbound northbound uh, money flow from Hong Kong from other overseas funds, uh, which is showing the confidence uh, the uh, the economy probably slowly back to normal and the economic activity probably takes up. So that's uh, money flow starting in May, very apparently. And that uh, uh, also gives confidence in domestic institutional market, uh, which the capital uh, also uh, back to the Asia market. So for the rest of the year, I would say Goldman Sachs probably should uh, showing the confidence the Chinese Asia uh, economy will at least in the second half of the year has to uh, do something in order to maintain five percent or five point five percent you know the whole year GDP uh, growth uh, target so uh, the second half will show more probably more uh, construction and also the service uh, the back to normal the service sector will show the positive trend in the second half of the year. Right, well, sounds like some uh, good news on the way. Uh, that's good. Thank you very much uh, to Yanan Wu, chairman of Zen Rongbao. Uh, Yanan, thanks for joining us this morning on Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, these view with the latest market prices. Uh, the ASX 200 in Australia up 1.6%. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 up 1.2%. South Korea's Kospi is up a half a percent. And as we just said, futures markets projecting the Hang Seng in Hong Kong to open around 60 points higher at 9.30 this morning. Uh, the weather cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature about 30 degrees. Fresh south to southwesterly winds. Strong offshore and on high ground at first. The outlook occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days. Weather will improve gradually in the latter part of this week. The strong monsoon signal is still in force. It's currently 29 Celsius, 81% relative humidity. Back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse will be up and at you in just a moment. But now it's 8.30 and here's the news with Ben. Danish police say several people have been killed and injured in a shooting incident in a shopping centre in the capital, Copenhagen. Eyewitnesses spoke of chaotic scenes after a man opened fire inside the Fields shopping mall in the east of the city. The BBC's Adrian Murray is in Copenhagen. The suspect was arrested at the scene. He's been described as a 22-year-old male ethnic Dane. We understand that the police were first notified of gunshots at the shopping centre at around 5.30pm local time. Lots of witnesses talked about hearing single loud shots and described a single gunman. Now, the police say 
at the moment that they just have one suspect arrested, but they haven't ruled out whether he was acting alone. They also haven't ruled out whether it was a terror attack. And the whole country is actually now on high alert. People, hundreds of people have marched in the American city of Akron in protest at the killing of a black man by police officers. Jalen Walker was shot dozens of times as he tried to flee from a traffic inspection. A lawyer for his family, Bobby DiCello, said unjustifiable force had been used and criticized police for playing footage that appears to show a shot being fired from the car Walker was driving. His name is Jalen, and he's not a monster. They want to turn him into a masked monster with a gun, and we knew that. At the time he was shot, more than 90 or 60 or whatever the unbelievable number will be, he was unarmed. Private bus owners in Sri Lanka say they're running a skeleton service as the fuel crisis worsens in the island nation. They said only 1,000 buses out of 16,000 were running due to a crippling shortage of diesel. The BBC's Anbar San Etherajan has more. They're not sure when the next supply will come. They're expecting it around the 8th or 9th. That means in the next few days, it's going to be really difficult for the public transport to operate. And the government doesn't seem to have any answer because many suppliers, they need bank guarantees because Sri Lanka has already defaulted on its debt. So many banks are not accepting the Sri Lankan letter of credit. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with me, Jim Gould, and your co-host today, Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the challenges of the new administration. President Xi Jinping spelled out four expectations for the new government of John Lee after the swearing-in of the chief executive and his team on Friday. Improving governance, strengthening development, tackling deep-seated livelihood issues and ensuring harmony are all priority areas. We'll be talking to three public policy uh, specialists about this in a moment. And after 9.15 this morning, we'll be looking at the latest COVID-19 situation here in Hong Kong. You can join the conversation, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined now on the line by John Burns, Emeritus Professor of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong, and Andrew Leung, an international and independent China strategist and former director of social, sorry, director general of social welfare. And after nine o'clock, we'll also be hearing from Holok Sang, a director of the Pansutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Um, uh, P- Professor Burns, first, if we could come to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so John Lee's already uh, convened his first uh, cabinet meeting. He said uh, he would regard the four expectations uh, put out by President Xi as uh, key direction and blueprint for his new administration. So um, how do you think he's going to uh, begin approaching those things? Well, I think this is, uh, 
this is very appropriate that he look at it from this perspective. We have to drill down onto what these um, expectations actually mean. And there, each one of them is a long 